Welcome to the podcast of Harvest Baptist Church in Harvest, Alabama. We invite you into our sanctuary as we dive into God's Word with our pastor, Dr. Al Perringer. And so tonight we're going to look in Daniel chapter 1. Daniel chapter 1. Um, there's just so much good stuff in, in Daniel. It, it, takes, it takes a while. You don't, you don't just rush through Daniel and so... Uh, we, we might be in Daniel for a while, but hopefully it'll be an, an encouragement uh, to everyone. The other day I was reading this story about a hunter who went out into the forest uh, in order to shoot a bear. Uh, winter was fast approaching and he wanted to, to make a warm coat out of uh, bear skin. And so he was out in the forest doing his hunting and soon he saw this bear coming toward him. And so he raised his gun and he took aim at the bear. But then the bear said, wait, wait a minute. Why do you want to shoot me? And the hunter replied, because I'm cold. And so the bear replied, but I'm hungry. So maybe we can come to some sort of accord. Maybe we can reach an agreement. Maybe somewhere there is a compromise. Well, in the end, the hunter was definitely well enveloped in the skin of the bear, and the bear had eaten his dinner. Now that's a weird story, a silly story. I mean, obviously bears don't talk, if you didn't know that, but it's a weird story, but it's very apt. It's a very apt illustration of what happens when Christians try to compromise with the world around them. If we try and compromise with the world around us, yeah, we're going to be eaten alive. We are not to compromise. Our beliefs are very much at odds with the world system. We have seen that now with the protests that have come around because of that leak from the Supreme Court. There have been violent protests around the nation. People wanting to keep the right to kill babies. Does that sound like someone we ought to compromise with? That's sick. We have been warned throughout Scripture, like the Apostle John. The Apostle John warned in his first epistle, 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 and 16, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. We're not to play footsie with the world. We are not the world system. What the world stands for, the world that is opposed to God. Now, as the old, tired cliche goes, we are in the world, but we are not to be of the world. The world system is not to determine what we believe. The world system is not to determine how we act. You know why? Because the world system is under the domain of the evil one. How can the values and morals and beliefs of the world and the values and morals of beliefs of Bible-believing Christians ever come to a compromise. 
They are two opposing worldviews. They are two opposing systems. They cannot come to a compromise. That's why the Apostle Paul warned in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14 and 15. He said, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness, or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? You know, oftentimes we, we use those verses about, well, a believer isn't to marry an unbeliever. And they shouldn't. But that's not the, the whole context. It's talking about Christians coming to a compromise with those of the world. If Christians try to compromise with the world, it's us Christians who will end up losing a whole lot more than we would ever gain or think that we would gain. You look at the Old Testament, the stories of the Old Testament and the Old Testament kings. When they were threatened, instead of relying on God, instead of running to God, they tried to make political alliances. They tried to make political alliances with Egypt to go against Syria. They tried to make political alliances with with Egypt to go against Babylon. They tried to make political alliances with Assyria to go against... I mean, they were all over the place trying to make these political alliances and they always lost out. And so we have to stay strong. We cannot budge one inch. And we're going to get some encouragement from Daniel and his three friends over the next few weeks. I want to read in Daniel chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. So let's look at verses 1 through 7 in Daniel chapter 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God, and he brought them to the land of Shinar, which is Babylon, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Among them were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel, he called Belteshazzar. Hananiah, he called Shadrach. Mishael, he called Meshach. And Azariah, he called Abednego. So, Babylon is becoming the world power. After they defeated Egypt at the Battle of Carchemish, they wanted to make sure that they remained to be the big power, and so they, they uh, laid siege to any of Egypt's uh, allies, if you will, and, and Judah had sort of aligned themselves with Egypt. In fact, uh, you know, Jehoiakim was one of the kings that Egypt was okay with and kind of buddy-buddy with. And so Babylon put them under their thumb, made them a vassal state. And what they did around 605 B.C. is they, deport, they deported the young, the brightest, the, these upcoming talents 
that were in the lands. They, he wanted to bring them, make them part of the empire, make them part of the bureaucracy, train them how to work in his government. And so some of these came from Jerusalem, they were, and they included Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And it, it, it's, it's interesting. Everything that Daniel describes was foretold hundred and some odd years beforehand by Isaiah. It was warned about, this is going to happen. Of course, Judah doesn't listen. I mean, why would they listen to God, huh? But Hezekiah, so way back in the days of Hezekiah, a uh, kind of an envoy from Babylon came. They, they, and they were thinking of making an alliance with each other to go against Assyria. But this Babylonian envoy came and Hezekiah said, thought, well, I'm just going to kind of show off and showed him everything that was in the temple and everything in his palace and things like that. Well, Isaiah forewarned him what was going to happen because he did that. And so like in 2 Kings chapter 20, verses 16 through 18, it says that Isaiah said to Hezekiah, hear the word of the Lord. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and that which your fathers have stored up till this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. And some of your own sons who will come from you, whom you will father, shall be taken away, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. He says right there, hundred and something years beforehand, so the Babylonians are going to come and they're going to deport some, some of the young, young folks from the land. Now, it, what Daniel describes is that those who were deported from Judah included some from the royal family, some from no, nobility. And so these four youth, Daniel and Hananiah and, and the rest, they, they may have been part of the royal family. I mean, if Second Kings is any indication, they may have been descendants from Hezekiah. They may have been part of some of the other upper echelon. Uh, but the Jewish historian Josephus uh, claims that Daniel and the gang, they were all members of Zedekiah's family, and Zedekiah was one of the sons of Josiah. He was the last king uh, of Judah before Babylon just destroyed the whole thing. And so Nebuchadnezzar, he steals the royal family from one place in order to serve the royal family in another kingdom. And so these young folks, being in the royal family, they probably had already gone through some training and upbringing, how to act in a royal court. They may have been trained in diplomacy and the like. And the description that's given to us in verses 4 and onward, these were the best and brightest that, they were, around, that were around, and they were, they were brought as young men because Nebuchadnezzar probably figured that at a young age, they were more impressionable. At a young age, they were more teachable or, or trainable. They might be more easily molded into what he wanted them to be. He wanted to work with the best and the brightest. He wanted to strengthen his empire, and he wanted to strengthen his reputation around the world. But if they were going to serve him, he wanted to make sure that he was the one who determined how they were going to be formed how they were going to be molded, what they were going to look like. And so it starts describing 
beginning in verse 4 and onward, what Nebuchadnezzar did to these youth to make them usable to him. So it says things like he wanted to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. Um, that's the ESV translation. I mean, that's the literal translation, but that's just another word for the Babylonians. And, and he wanted to get them a whole bunch of worldly learning, which in one sense isn't bad in and of itself because they learned languages, they learned cultures, they had access to the greatest library of the day. They were able to learn about the different religions and philosophies and, and math and science and histories, but it also included things like magic and astronomy and astrology because that was kind of an important aspect of their religion and culture. And, and so they, they, they got some good learning of these different traditions of the major people groups in the area. I mean, I guess from that standpoint, it would be like someone from America going over to Japan and being immersed in, in the culture and philosophy and religions of the East. I mean, that's something very foreign to us. But there's a lot of learning to be had. Japan's a very interesting place. Been there several times. But on the other hand, some of those things are opposed to God. Even though, I mean, it is, it was the top-notch learning of the day. It, it would be likened to the Harvard of the day. <laughs> but in a sense, just like Harvard now is a godless pagan institution, which is weird because it started out as a seminary and a theological school, but now it's all about the, the ways of the world. But it, 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 you know, supposedly when we, say, when we think of the best education in the land, you know, we say Harvard and Princeton and, and things like that. Well, that's what they went through. I mean, they, they, it says they went through three years of training in what was probably the best school of the day in the world, maybe the best graduate school. They were getting their master's degree at a young age or something. There's positive things. They were able to learn some, some things, and they were bright enough to learn it. But the, the other side of that coin was that, in a sense, Nebuchadnezzar was trying to brainwash them. They were trying to, to, trying to brainwash the young people through pagan indoctrination. Boy, don't that sound familiar brainwash the youth through pagan indoctrination. He was trying to brainwash them to turn them into his youth. I mean, you could almost say it would be like the equivalent of the Hitler youth of the Nazi party back in World War II, where they would have unquestioned loyalty to the king, into his religion, and to his people. So yeah, it included study in the religion of Babylon. Not just, but he didn't want it just to be merely intellectual and academic. It wasn't like a course on world religions. He wanted these youth to be steeped in the religion. He wanted them to follow the religion. He wanted them to embrace the religion. Boy, I 
after saying that, I'm like, are we talking about Babylon or are we talking about current events? I'm not sure. Because the world wants to indoctrinate the youth. The world wants them to be steeped in their ways. The world wants them to think that abortion is okay. It's merely a choice. The world wants the youth to think that perverse lifestyles are just the way you're, you're made. The world wants to teach them that your gender, your sex, is, can be non-binary. One, I have no idea really what that means. But two, the Bible says that God created man in his image. Male and female, he created them. That sounds pretty binary to me. That's what Daniel and his friends were up against. And, and another thing that we can see here, how they were trying to mold them and shape them and to embrace Babylon, embrace the Babylonian system, embrace the Babylonian religion and way of life was that they were given new names. Now, it was common in the ancient Near East for people to be named using, and somewhere in their name, their god, their deity was included. They were paying homage to their god through the names that they would give their kids. And you can see this actually in the boys' real names, like their, their given names. And you can actually see this throughout Scripture. Especially, I mean, it's more kind of prominent in the Old Testament. But if you see a name that ends in E-L, that, that, that word L is, is the name, is the word God. And so, you know, the rest of it is something God if it ends in L. Now, if you see a name that ends in I-A-H, Y-A-H, J-A-H, you know, Yah, well, that, that comes from the divine covenant name, Yahweh. And so it comes to, so, you know, even in biblical times, they would put God's name within their names. So Daniel, the name Daniel means God is judge. You hear that L at the end. Hananiah, you hear that Yah. It means Yahweh is gracious. Mishael, it means who is what God is. And Ezariah, you hear it again, it means Yahweh helps. And so their names were connected to their God, the God that they were brought up in. You know, knowing the, knowing the rest of the story, knowing the rest of the story of Daniel, you know, the, these boys, their parents didn't only give them names connected to God, but they must have done something right in, in bringing them up, even though Judah was very apostate at the time. But for these boys to be as solid as they are, living for God, staying strong for God, you know, the parents had to have done something. The parents had to have brought them up in the faith 
in some way, shape, or form, and God just solidified that. Again, it's, it demonstrates the importance of parents taking up the mantle and teaching kids the truth about the Bible and the truth about God. Even though the church is here to help with that, the church cannot take the place of parents. Our kids are being inundated constantly through media, through social media, through TV, through some schools, through some places, through friends, being taught the ways of the world. One or two hours a week at church is not going to undo that. And that's why it is so important for parents to teach them the faith. Constantly. We're having to undo what the world is trying to do. The indoctrination that they're trying to do. And they're not even trying to hide it anymore. There, there's executives at Disney who have straight out come out and told, and come out and said they're trying to indoctrinate. And so it's very important. So they must have had parents that, 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 that did that. Because, I mean, they, they are just, for three years, getting hit with all this stuff. And, and so part of that indoctrination and part of that trying to get them immersed into the Babylonian culture was that they were given these new names, trying to break from the past. Daniel was given the name of Belteshazzar, which means may Bel protect his life. And Bel was another name for Marduk, the name who was the main Babylonian god, and we believe was Nebuchadnezzar's main god. Hananiah became Shadrach, which means command of Aku, and Aku was the moon god. Mishael became Meshach, which means who is what God is, or who is what Aku is, which is a play on his Hebrew name, Mishael, which means who is what God is. And so they were trying to mess with him that way. And Azariah became Abednego, which means servant of Nego, and Nego probably was an intentional perversion of the name Nebu or Nebu, who was the second greatest god among the Babylonians, the god of wisdom. And so they were trying to engulf them that way, but not only that, they were trying to engulf them into the Babylonian way through their diet. They were given a portion of the same food that went to the king's table. Now, from one perspective, you have to think, I mean, the king would only get the best. So they were getting, they, they weren't getting chopstick, they were getting the filet mignon and stuff, you know what I mean? And so, and it would make sense. I mean, you go to Japan, you eat Japanese food, you go to India, you eat Indian food, you go to Babylon, you eat Babylonian food, but they would get the best because it's the king. So there may have been an innocent aspect of that. Because, you know, the, as it says later, you know, he wanted them to be strong. He wanted them to, to be built up. But from another angle, it was just another way of them trying to make those youth forget about their past and their upbringing and be fully immersed in, in Babylon. And, you know, and I'll talk more about this next week, but more than likely it included food that was sacrificed to idols and food that was unclean for Jews, according to the law. So here's Babylon. 
Babylon is trying to put pressure on Jewish youth to become part of their way. And they, find, they were trying from every possible angle to cause these youth to part ways with everything that they had been taught about God and instead to embrace the new religion, the new way of life, the new ethic. And nothing has changed. Or to put it in a biblical term, there's nothing new under the sun. Babylon is still indoctrinating our youth. And if you, if you look in the New Testament, Babylon is used as a symbol, as a picture of the world system that is opposed to God. The current culture wants our youth to forget the ways of God and his word and to embrace new morals. And it would appear that they are winning that battle. They want our youth to forget God. They want our youth to join them in their idolatrous observances. And we have to be wise to their devices. And so we have to undo what they're trying to do. But the, this world system that is opposed to God is going to do whatever it can, put as much pressure as it can to try and wear us down to try and overcome our wills so finally we stop trying to fight them. So they're, they're going to try and wear us down so that we finally just say, you know what, it's just not worth fighting anymore. They're going to try and wear us down where, where we would come to a point and say, you know what, it'll just be easier to compromise with the world than it would be to fight it. And that's when we really have lost. And so we cannot concede. We cannot give up the fight. That's why we put on the armor. That's why we stand firm in the faith. Yeah, you know what? Just kind of going along for the ride, just kind of going along with the world system would be easier. It'd be more comfortable. But it's not right. And it's not pleasing to God. Now, I'm not saying, like, everything in the world is absolutely horribly bad. I'm not saying that, that like, all the, the learning and, that you can get is, like, bad. I mean, you need to learn your three R's, right? You're reading, writing, and arithmetic. You've got to learn those. Those, are, those aren't bad. There's nothing wrong with learning science. It just depends on how you apply the science and how you interpret the science. There's not even anything wrong with learning philosophy. There's tools there that can be used. As long as you don't embrace the world's values that go with it. I mean, Babylon had a lot going for it. It probably offered these boys a lot of great opportunity. They really could go far in the world, and in fact, that they did. But they didn't compromise, though, in order to go far. They trusted in their Lord. Yes, they would receive the best training that was available in the world at that time. Yes, they would serve the most powerful government at that time but would they do it at the cost of compromise would they do it and would compromise make it worth it you know if i compromise with the world and i can get ahead that would be worth it right i could compromise a little bit with the world and i can make my life easier i can get a better position i can get some fame 
I, I can have some influence if I compromise with the world. Or is there another way? Is there a way to serve God in the world without compromising? Did Daniel and the boys find a way to still serve where God had put them? Because God put them there, right? God is sovereign, right? He is sovereign. So he put them there. They were there according to his will for reasons we obviously learned throughout the book. But, I mean, Daniel and the gang didn't, didn't know it at the time. So you can be in a position like that. And you don't have to compromise. You can still stand up for God. Daniel and the boys showed there could be a way. Because they were resolved to honor God. And yet they resolved to do that within the context that they found themselves. And so we can do the same. We can honor God without compromise within the context that we find ourselves, wherever God has put us. Wherever God has put us. God has us where he wants us. But for the boys, their place in the empire did not determine their identity. Their high positions and their high learning did not define them. And wherever we are, it doesn't define us either. You know where our identity is found? Our identity is found in Christ. Who we are in Christ. And so, wherever we find ourselves on the steps of the social ladder, whatever our influence may or may not be, that doesn't define us. Who we are in Christ defines us. And so we stand strong in Him. And wherever we are, we are going to represent Him to the best of how we've been gifted and how much we depend on the Holy Spirit to empower us to follow Him. And so we must be resolved not to compromise. How did they do it? We'll talk about that next week. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Harvest Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at harvest-baptist.org or find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. You can also find info on our children's ministry on Facebook at Harvest Baptist Children's Ministry or on Instagram at KidsQuest underscore HBC. Our student ministry is on Facebook at HBC Vertical Student Ministry and on Instagram at VSM underscore HBC. We welcome you to join us on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. We are located at 8999 Waltrana Highway in Harvest, Alabama. Thanks for listening, and God bless.